You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, June 27th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we are going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film news writer and box office expert, Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. Happy Monday. How's it going? Happy Monday, Ryan. Uh, Peter is not feeling too well right now, so I am stepping in to take his place today. Uh, I know normally he talks about box office with you, but today I'm going to talk about box office with you. So, uh, Ryan, tell me what happened at the box office last weekend. I think I saw some unusual headlines. Sure, yeah. Well, I, w- I should also note that I'm used to Peter referring referring to me as a box office expert. And now that you've done it as well, I feel it is very odd that I have somehow become an expert at anything <laughs> around these parts. Uh, so that is uh, that is still weird for me, but I'm going to go ahead and ride ride it. Um, yeah, absolutely, man. Fake it till you make it, you know? <laughs> sure, yeah. I think that's exactly what I've done. Um, but, uh, but anyway, yeah. So um, it was a all-around, what I will say, the word for me is encouraging. It was a very encouraging weekend. Last summer, we were just so barely into anything that could be like considered legitimate box office recovery. Um, this summer's different. So the the headline is that 
Elvis did, in fact, win the weekend box office narrowly. It looked like a tie between Elvis and Top Gun Maverick yesterday. But with the weekend actuals, Elvis made thirty one point two million dollars and Top Gun Maverick made twenty nine point six. So that's the first kind of headline that those two were so close. Top Gun only dropped thirty four percent. The fact that an adult skewing biopic uh, that was ostensibly a musical managed to make this much money is very good. Uh, 50, 50. 50.5 million worldwide. So 20 million overseas debut Mm -hmm. Really good numbers. That's that Warner brothers should be thrilled with that. Uh, no question. Uh, you know, especially when you had stuff like in the Heights fail so badly and, you know, it started to look like maybe the musical thing wasn't working out, but yeah, this is uh this is good stuff. This is good numbers. Man. So I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked that this performed as well as it did because Elvis does not seem, I mean, obviously like, uh, Elvis is a, is a cultural, um, I mean, really, he's like a, a cultural landmark. Like he, he, the, the impact that Elvis uh, left on American society cannot be overstated. But it, he does not necessarily seem like a figure that, um, let's just say, younger audiences, that the audiences that typically frequent movie theaters right now in the sort of pandemic new normal, um, would be, you know, willing to go out and and see. So it sort of seems like I think you mentioned sort of like an adult skewing kind of thing. And I guess that's why you're saying this encouraging because uh, it, it performed. Was this like better than expected? How, how did it do compared to like what Warner Brothers was saying? It looked like a li- just slightly better than what the expectations were like. Which, okay. is, But again, those expectations were very reasonable and and uh, which is good. And like the thing is, like much like Top Gun, which, again, your two two your two top movies right now. Now, what a lot of exit surveys and things like that have revealed is that older moviegoers went out to go see Top Gun Maverick and it was like their first movie back in two or three years. And wow. that was a lot of what has goosed Top Gun Maverick. I did not mean the pun there, but but that was a <laughs> lot. That was a lot of what have like pushed Top Gun Maverick numbers up. So Elvis, it seems, is giving some of those viewers opportunity as well. But not only that, but like if you even go back as far as something like Walk the Line, I didn't know really much about Johnny Cash until that movie came out. And then that's sort of what gave me my obsession with Johnny Cash and open mm-hmm, that door mm-hmm. for me. So Elvis could easily do that same thing for, you know, if you had people that were, cause you know, people forget Austin Butler was a Disney star before any of this. Yep. So, you know, you had a lot of people following his career and were interested in him. So then he, all of a sudden he's playing some old school rocker. Even if kids don't know who Elvis is, there are people that might've been fans of his that go, okay, yeah, let's go for him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was enough that I think that gave this, gave this the juice it needed. Yeah. So one of the things that you always talk about, Ryan, is like, was this a, um, I guess, like a financially responsible decision to make this movie at this sort of budget level? And what do we know what the budget for uh, Elvis was? And what do you think uh, about the the um, way that this movie performed in its opening weekend? What does that say about how it might do overall? Um, it was kind of at the top end of what I would consider to be like, quote unquote, responsible for this sort of thing. Uh, $85 million is the reported budget. Um, that's like at the very top end of, of mid budget or an approaching big budget. But I think the the because people, if you recall, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson were like two of the first celebrities to get COVID and it mm-hmm. was filming this movie. So this was one of the first movies that had to kind of restart its production and shut down for weeks and months. So I think that added a lot. I don't think it was originally going to be an $85 million movie. I think, you know, maybe 55, 60, mm-hmm. you know, which again, for an Elvis movie, absolutely. Like if you're going to make an Elvis movie with the, with big star, sure. That's like, I don't see any 
and even 85 to me isn't that you know like that's like okay that's like i you know obviously if you can get it a little cheaper but but i think this is a great start and i think the thing with something like this is that what we've seen is movies that perform well theatrically then have increased demand on streaming so then that sort of increases the demand of this on hbo max and on vod which that window will line up better with award season so that will kind of help sort of maybe keep this alive in trying to get some nominations for maybe austin butler tom hanks or anyone else that they're sort of going to pursue you know award stuff for which again once award, you know so so to me this is great because this is a movie that could have some legs in terms of its financials throughout the rest of the year. So to me, yeah. this is all good. Yeah. I mean, I, from what I've seen, I've not seen Elvis yet, but the critical response has been, you know, heavily mixed on the movie to, I guess, to, to put it, uh, to put it nicely. Um, so I'm not sure how much Oscar potential they have above the line. I wouldn't be surprised if they went for something like editing or, you know, uh, sound mixing or whatever the, the, uh, the newly, newly um, christened, uh, sound category uh, official name is, um, yeah, but you're talking well, about. It, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was saying if we want to be fair, it, you know, I know Twitter makes it seem mixed, but Twitter is not the world, and so let's just be somewhat fair to the movie here. It's got a 79% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and a 94% audience rating. That's pretty wow. damn good. Wow, yeah. 94 audience. I did not know that. Okay, all right. Well, yeah. So, uh, yeah. and you know, if we want to just. A Bohemian Rhapsody, a movie that made almost a billion dollars worldwide, just for the sake of comparison, had a 60% critic score and an 85% audience rating. So Elvis <laughs> is outperforming that even on both of those fronts. So that's really good. Wow. I mean, I would I would be genuinely shocked if this per, like outperformed Bohemian Rhapsody because that movie was like such a surprise. No, uh, it's not going to make that kind of money, but I'm saying in terms of like the response to it. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. so, so that, that's, that's all good on the signaling there. Gotcha. Okay. So you mentioned legs and, uh, I think we have to say that Top Gun Maverick, um, is like basically legs colon the movie at this point. I mean, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of incredible how well this movie is done and, and officially it has crossed the billion dollar market. And this is something that, um, I mean, I think it, it's fair to say that this took a lot of people by surprise, right? Well, and, and let's be clear, this movie still has a lot of way to go. This is fifth weekend. It just crossed a billion. It only dropped 34% this weekend, and it was very close to retaking the top spot. Um, it's now the highest grossing movie of the year. It is at $520 million domestic. No release in China. So no money from China whatsoever. That is incredible. Uh, yeah. So this could easily finish 1.2, 1.3. Wow. You know, depending on the legs and I don't uh, I, I mean, I could look real quick, but I don't know if it has any other major markets left to open in. But I mean, holy crap, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's like just for comparison's sake, you know, um, uh, just moving down the chart here. Jurassic World Dominion finished at number three in its third week, 26.4 million. That's pretty good. You know, it only dropped 55 percent with all the heavy competition. It is quickly approaching 750 million worldwide. But it is the second movies of the pandemic uh, that uh, a Hollywood release anyway, that has actually made 100 million or more in China because it did get a China release and it has performed well over there. Hmm. The only other Hollywood movie that did that was Godzilla versus Kong, which made a ton of money over there. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, so, you know, Top Gun's done it without without China, which is incredible. Yeah, man. Okay, so how did uh, the Black Phone do? That was another big release this weekend. 
Black Phone did great. Uh, and again, moving down the chart to number four, Black Phone, the new horror flick from uh, the duo of, of, of Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill, who horror fans will know from uh, Sinister and, uh, you know, your more broad moviegoers might know from Doctor Strange. Um, uh, $23.6 million. Uh, again, good enough for the number four spot. All of these movies, you know, from one to four down, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, this also playing in a lot less theaters, it's worth noting. Uh, so uh, Black Phone was in 3,100 screens, give or take, whereas Elvis was on like 3,900 screens and like Jurassic World Dominion's on like 4,200 screens. Wow. So Black Phone did this on less screens. Uh, so its per screen average was uh, as good as Top Gun Maverick. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know, and we're talking about against an $18 million budget. So this did 23 million against an 18 million dollar budget, which, you know, that's what Blumhouse does. That's mm-hmm. the good stuff right there. You get to profitability real quick that way. Yeah, because um, <laughs> right now it, it did 12.4 overseas. So it's at 35.8. Let's call it 36 million. You've already doubled your budget on opening weekend. You know, yeah. that's the that's the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so so that's the box office. Were there any other like big takeaways that you had from the? Uh, I don't know why I pronounced it that way. Takeaways? Any takeaways you had from from the box office stuff? Uh, uh, aside from just like being encouraged at how well these things did, sort of like um, you know. Yeah, yeah. So the, the other two quick things is that Lightyear fell all the way to number five, uh, which was bad. It dropped sixty four percent. Very bad. Mm. Um, eighteen point one million. Um. Not a lot of good to say there. Um, I, I really thought this movie was going to do better. It's at 152 worldwide against a $200 million budget. Um, that's bad. Uh, yeah. You got Minions yeah. The Rise of Gru coming out this week. So the family-friendly crowd is going to head that way. Yeah, I don't know what happens there. And then the only other thing to pay attention to here is that um, Marcel the Shell with Shoes on, A24's latest, on six screens made $169,000. Uh, it is setting itself up for a good run here. Uh, and we say this as everything everywhere all at once is still in the top 10 and it's 14th weekend and uh, is very near $90 million worldwide. So a 24 could be having itself a hell of a year. Yeah, man, that's good stuff right there too. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about comic-con 2022 that's coming up. I think next month at this point, like we're just a few weeks away from Comic-Con. we are, we are, we are about three weeks away. Yes. So uh, I think you and Jacob and uh, Jeremy are going to be covering it on the ground for us in San Diego this year at Slash Film. So um, I'm excited about that. Are you excited about uh, returning to to Comic-Con and sort of like covering it for the first time in official capacity, Ryan? Yeah. So I actually didn't know I was allowed to talk about that yet. Yeah, I'm going to be at Comic-Con. I'm stoked. (laughs) I'm so excited. Uh, I didn't know when I was allowed to like say that I was going. No, I'm, I'm so excited. I've known for a little while. Uh, that I was going for us and, and I'm, I'm thrilled. Uh, I, uh, yeah, like I, I mean, you know, when you love the nerd stuff and all this big pop culture stuff, as much as I do, San Diego comic-con is kind of like the biggest of the big, and this is going to be the first real one in, in a few years. And, and I'm like really happy to be there for us. And, and it's one thing I've only went once before and I went like on my own, but then I ended up covering for the old set I used to write for just cause I got the job shortly after. And mm-hmm. anyway, but I mean, and that was great. It was cool. But like to actually be there strictly because of my job and like going for us, like I'm, I'm very excited. So it's uh yeah. 
It sounds like there's going to be a lot of stuff there, um, you know, which is great because the, the past couple of years of Comic-Con, I mean, Comic-Con at home in 2020 was just like, uh, it, it felt like a thrown together thing. I'm Obviously, like the circumstances were not ideal there for anyone. Um, it was it straight was, up depressing. Yeah, it was really kind of uh, kind of embarrassing. And I almost would have, well, not almost, I would have rather them do nothing than do that. Um, it was just like, yeah, it felt like uh, the wind had been let out of the sails to, to well, such a degree. that, <laughs> Especially because if I remember correctly, DC Fandom happened, was after, right? And DC Fandom did it so well. Yeah. Like yeah. that it was like, man, like it was just, it was like letting the air out of the tires really yeah, badly. Definitely. Okay. So um, a report came out from The Hollywood Reporter. I think this was earlier today that uh, basically says for the first time, Warners and uh, that includes DC will have no presence on the convention floor uh, for the first time in, in I think, decades. So, um, you know, th- that does not mean that there are that Warner Brothers and and DC are not going to have Hall H presentations where they show off footage. But just in terms of like on the, f- the convention floor, there's not going to be a DC um, stand and, and you know, area booth or whatever where you can like go and, and talk to people and, and uh, all the things that you do at a, at a convention. So um, that is one of the the sort of headline takeaways. I mean, all, all of this is, is sort of like happening in the shadow of um, the Warner Brothers Discovery merger. So it seems like the new CEO is trying to tighten the belt a little bit and try to save uh, a decent <laughs> amount of money. David Zaslav is is laying down the gauntlet. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, don't expect there to be a huge presence, uh, you know, in, in terms of like the kind of blowout kind of stuff that we've seen from different studios in the past. But like, um, it looks like the several of the CW shows are not going to um, be there, even though those shows were typically like hugely present at, at Comic-Cons uh, in, in the past. But um, Warners is going to have, I think, a, a, a according to THR, although, although um, I think you shared a tweet with us in our Slack that um, Frosty from Collider, Steve Weintraub, mentioned that he was hearing that that Warner Brothers is not going to be bringing any sort of uh, DC movies uh, to, to present at um, at Comic-Con this year, which would be really kind of shocking given like the amount of stuff that they have and given the amount of like, you know, Black Adam, for example, um, you know. Yeah. There, there are, they showed some footage from that. Uh, I guess it was just an early look at the trailer um, at CinemaCon when I was there. Um, you know, there's definitely stuff that they could do that would not be super expensive, that would not be, um, that would not require a lot of people to, break their back to work on visual effects just in order to get it ready for the, the hall H crowd. Um, whether or not they want to show stuff all the way out for, you know, movies that are coming out next year and stuff like maybe they, some studios used to do back in the heyday of Comic-Con that remains to be seen. But, um, I would be really surprised if like there wasn't any presence in hall H, uh, for, for DC stuff. What do you think about that? I, I, so I think we're going to see like some TV stuff for sure. Um, but I think on the movie side of things, Zaslav is uh, determined to get DC straightened out. Um, and look, I'm not saying DC hasn't had their fair share of hits, and I'm not saying some good stuff hasn't happened, but I'm saying there is no cohesive direction to the DC brand right now. Mm-hmm. And th- that, you can get mad at me if you want, that's true. That is borderline inarguable. Uh, it's it's and- almost like the uh, like a good thing for from their perspective, you know? like In, in some ways, but I think you still need to kind of figure out what you're doing. And I think that's one of Zaslav's biggest things. And you also have the big gray cloud of the flash right now. 
Mm-hmm. I think part of it is that movie was in a lot of ways going to be their big red reset button. And now they kind of can't ride that. So I think the problem is even if you brought other stuff, you would have that cloud of we don't know exactly what the future is going to be yet. And part of that future might have just been blown up because of Ezra Miller. <laughs> so yeah. like, so, so I think maybe they're sort of just like, let's not, and I, all credit where credit is due. Part of the problem with Warner brothers and DC over the last decade has been putting a cart before the horse and maybe not doing that right now is a good thing. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, and just for, for those of you who maybe don't follow the, the news super closely, just uh, Google Ezra Miller and maybe the word allegations or something, and, and you'll see uh, a lot of what uh, what yeah. Ryan is sort of alluding to there. There's a, there's been a lot of um, sort of like off the field uh, issues, I guess is is a, is a um, yeah. An easy I, way I wasn't to say trying it, to but. sling dirt or anything, but like, but but Ezra Miller has definitely, and I mean, a lot of this stuff is corroborated by police reports and and things like the the they have they have had some serious problems. Yeah, and yeah. and the the idea i even had a thing in superhero bits today that there was even a show that was on that was supposedly in the works that ezra miller was supposed to be in that would have involved the flash for presumably hbo max and that got canceled so like you know it's just like there's some damage control going on right now and there that's kind of hard to ignore yeah, definitely. So, so some of the things that we do know are going to be at Comic Con that that Warner Brothers is going to be bringing is uh, House of the Dragon, one of HBO's uh, new big shows. Um, Netflix's adaptation of Sandman is going to be there. Um, Riverdale, I think, is going to be there for like right before its final season. Uh, Gremlins: Secrets of the Mogwai, the new HBO Max series, is going to be there. I think there's going to be a panel for that. Um, there's going to be a lot of like animation related stuff. Um, uh, how do you say his name? Is it Gendy Tartakovsky? I, I never know how to uh, pronounce it. Gendy Tartakovsky, I think. Gendy, yes. Uh, Gen- so I, th- this... I think. I please God, I don't know for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So he's got this show called Primal that I remember Brad speaking really fondly of. Primal um, absolutely rules. Oh, good. You've seen it too. Okay. I've, well, I've, I got I to see. I've... I got to see at Fantastic Fest a few years ago. Uh, they showed the almost the whole first season in the theater like except the last episode i think absolutely incredible awesome okay so yeah season two i guess it's going to be um tease uh for for sort of adult swim stuff um the new harley quinn series the first two episodes of that are going to be shown uh there's a a um, dc animated movie called green lantern beware my power that's going to be there as well there's going to be uh, panels for um the the gotham knights video game and um the multiverses video game there's gonna be some wrestling stuff there for the the uh, aew um which should be uh, an interesting Wait, sort but, of change of pace oh okay never mind so we're not we're we're just going over everything that's going to be there because i was going to say wait does warner brothers own aew and I was yeah like, they they do actually it's their their wrestling do they really unit. no because yeah. i know what because i don't follow wrestling but i didn't know warner brothers owned aew that's good for them yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm not like I, we have some people on staff who are like very much in that world and paying attention to that. I am not that person. Um, yeah, I'm not I either. Not... But I know BJ is, and I know Ben is. But yeah, but I'm just saying like wrestling's a good business to be in, and AEW's on the up. That's great for Warner Brothers. I didn't know. Yeah. So those are some of the big things that we do know are going to be there. Um, like we said, the you know the the big like DC um movie presentation kind of stuff, and and even what like uh Warner Brothers um beyond DC, like what kind of uh, movie warner brothers is going to bring to show off uh remains to be seen but i mean you know for a long time there it was like marvel sort of ran the table in in you know quote quote unquote winning comic-con right like by whether it was bringing footage or 
bringing Tom Hiddleston out and dressing him up as Loki. And he came out in character and like address the crowd and all that kind of stuff. There's all these different, um, you know, ways that these different studios would try to one up each other. And Warner brothers was like a major player in that. There was, I remember the year that they, um, they like created almost like the screen X effect where the, the main screen in hall H is like front and center. And then Warner brothers like lifted these curtains basically off of the, the walls and like screens wrapped around the building. And it was like this insane moment that everybody sort of went nuts for. And it showed uh, concept art for the um, Batman versus Superman uh, Dawn of justice. And like, I mean, it was like, <laughs> regardless of how that movie turned out, it was a big deal in, in uh, Hall H history. Um, and so the idea that they're maybe not going to be like quite as, as major a player uh, on the, the comic book uh, on the convention floor is kind of a bummer, but you know, we'll see how big of a, a presence um, they, you know, how, how, how much of their presence is felt in Hall H when they actually bring stuff. Um, I'm very curious to see what happens there. And then one of the other things that I wanted to mention before we wrap up today is uh, I mentioned Marvel. Kevin Feige has has confirmed that Marvel Studios is going to be coming back to San Diego Comic-Con. So I think um, D23, the, the Disney uh, convention, is happening this September. So that's not too far away. It's only a few months out. out. And I was sort of wondering if... Um, Marvel was going to save everything for that. And, and Feige might do his, you know, state of the union kind of presentation there and maybe show off some footage for, for like black Panther or something that's coming out, you know, later this year. Um, but it seems like they're coming back to San Diego comic-con and I don't know what they're going to bring in terms of footage. If anything, I, I think honestly, like Marvel could get away with Feige getting up on stage and just doing his like big layout of like, here's what's coming and everybody would still go nuts and that would be plenty. Um, so I'm very curious to see what happens there. Do you have any, uh, any like sense Ryan of like what might happen or what you would want to see happen there? You know, I, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little curious cause there's even been some talk of like Disney, even doing some sort of Marvel con just because DC fandom has done so well. Mm. But, but I think like, I think it's interesting because they're going to have to divide and conquer somehow. They're going to have to decide what does Marvel do at hall H and then what does Marvel do at D 23? Mm -hmm. And if I remember right a few years ago in 2019, this 2019 was the big hall H for phase four. That was when we learned about everything, the blade announcement, all the movie title, all of it. And then, uh, and then, but then I think if I remember correctly, D 23, it was, um, it was a lot of like the Disney plus stuff. Mm. So, oh, yeah. I, so I think maybe there could be some divide and conquer that way, but I don't disagree with you that it seems like D 23 would be the place to do a lot of that. Though yeah. I do think Marvel has become so all encompassing that you could, you could easily do both. And and I think there's something to Marvel being able to go into San Diego Comic-Con, not in their house, and still be able to tear the roof off the place and get everyone to talk about their stuff above all else. I still think there's some value in that. So maybe that's why they're doing it. I actually think that this might be the most important year for Marvel doing this, maybe since like the original Iron Man or maybe since they, they brought all the Avengers out on the, on stage for the first time, because yeah, yeah, they're kind of in one. that place, you know, like in the, in the aftermath of Endgame, they're, you know, they're, they were able to take their victory lap with that, that whole uh, uh, saga era phase, uh, you know, came to a close. And now 
Marvel is kind of like floundering a little bit in terms of like, I think, I think there's a, a general sentiment out there, Ryan, of like, what is Marvel doing right now? Like, what is, what is all of this building to? What are people, um, you know, what are all these projects uh, leading to? Is there a, another team up? Like what, it has to be leading to something. It can't just be, you know, every project ends with like a little um, teaser for like, here's somebody else who's going to be in the next thing. Like there needs to be a sense of momentum and like um, not finality, but like a, a stepping stone, right? Like all of these projects uh, right now, it sort of feels like Marvel is like out in the wind a little bit. There's just not been that sort of focused, um, uh, I guess, revelation of a plan to the audience where we all know, um, okay, this all of this makes sense in our minds because we can see how these puzzle pieces are being, being put together to create this larger tapestry. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, even Feige had some comment recently that he's going to, you know, they're going to reveal you will know soon enough what the big thing is, what the next, you know, the big thing of phase four is. I, I, I'm pretty convinced it's secret wars, but like, you know, there's enough circumstantial stuff to sort of point to that. Plus if you do secret wars and you do like the more recent secret wars, you can converge all of the various universes. And then that kind of gives you a bit of a reset, mm. which I think the MCU kind of desperately needs right now. Like, cause you just have too much going on. I yeah. think especially if you want to bring the X-Men and Fantastic Four in, then you're just making things even messier. You need a way to kind of clean some things up. Yeah. And Secret Wars could be a big grand way to do that. Um, yeah, and then I think there was that thing about the Russo brothers were in negotiations to sign on to do another Marvel movie. And then the Black Widow lawsuit sort of put a pin in that. Mm. Uh, and the Russo brothers had only said that they would come back for secret wars. So if you start moving the pieces on the board, it kind of seems like, you know, secret wars was definitely on the table. Uh, man. That, yeah. People would go nuts if they announced that and they announced the Russo's coming back. I mean, that alone, I think would be enough to like win Comic-Con. Yeah. I don't know so. if we get the Russo's back. Cause I still think maybe they, I think that was like, they were going to be able to ask for the world and get it. And yeah. then I think like, and then I think like the Black Widow thing, maybe if that made them pause, I wonder what would be enough to get them to unpause. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, yeah. but, but like, but whether or not they're part of it, if, and especially, yeah, I will say if you say secret wars and they come out, yeah, then, then that's gigantic. But yeah. um, either way, that would be a pretty big deal, I think. Okay, well, I think that's it for today's episode of the show. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit more about Comic-Con in the in the coming weeks because um, we're still like so far out right now where we don't have a great idea of like what the exact lineup is going to be and what, what's going to be there on every day and all that kind of stuff. So maybe once the schedule comes out, we can uh, dive into that a little bit deeper and, and sort of take a look at like what our most anticipated kind of things are. Maybe we can talk about that in an episode before you go, Ryan. But um, yeah, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's show. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhome.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.